Amen. Good morning, Maple Grove. Uh, good to see you today. Good to see you out there in uh, TV land. All right. Hey, I want to start off with uh, Psalm 44, a few verses from there. Um, just listen to God's word. Oh God, we have heard with our own ears. Our ancestors have told us of all you did in their day, in the days long ago. You drove out the pagan nations by your power and gave all the land to our ancestors. You crushed their enemies and set our ancestors free. They did not conquer the land with their swords. It was not their own strong arm that gave them victory. It was your hand and strong arm and the blinding light from your face that helped them, for you loved them. You are my king and my God. You command victories for Israel. Only by your power can we push back our enemies. Only in your name can we trample our foes. I, I do not trust in my bow. I do not count on my sword to save me. You are the one who gives us victory over our enemies. You disgrace those who hate us. Oh God, we give glory to you all day long and constantly praise your name. Heavenly Father, we humbly come into your presence, Lord. And Father, we know that any victory in life that we have is because of you. And God, right now, I just pray for each and every one of us that we could just breathe out the world, breathe out all the distractions, breathe out all the stress, and breathe you in. God, I pray for those who are in a battle. I pray for those who long to see a victory in their life. I pray that your word will Pour life and truth into them, God. God, enable me to speak in a way that brings you honor and brings you glory. God, we know that it's not by our own strength that we will achieve victory, but only by your power and through your name. Amen. Well, this morning we're continuing in our, in our series, Such Things Were Written. Theme verse remains the same, right? Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us, to give us hope and encouragement, to give us hope and encouragement, to give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises. And, and so far in this series, we've been both taught and we've been given hope and encouragement as we looked at the story of Naomi and Ruth as we saw David feed Goliath, as we saw the life of the prophet Jeremiah, as we saw a very surprising warrior named Gideon. And for the past two weeks, we've been, we've been looking at a period in history of God's people called the wilderness or wandering period in a conversation called, are we there yet? And in that conversation, what we discovered is that being there is not ultimately about some destination out there, but rather it's about a destination here. It's about, it's about being there here. It's about becoming the people that God wants us to be. And, and we drill down on, on six words that describe a people who are there. Content, trusting, dependent, different, obedient, and devoted. Such things were written long ago to teach us and give us hope and encouragement. And, you know, this Wednesday morning I, I woke up and I started journaling. And I, I woke up just journaling. I, I feel bummed out. I feel discouraged, I feel stuck, I feel like I'm in the wilderness wandering, and all I'm doing is sucking desert sand. 
And then I wrote down those six words. And I said, I got some work to do, right? And because the, the reality is, working on these will get me out of the wilderness. The wilderness, it, it, it makes a huge difference. It's like, well, am I content? Well, not really. Am I trusting God right now? Uh-uh. Am I depending on God? No, I'm kind of depending on me. Many different in the world? No, I got some things I need to straighten out. Am I being beat? Oh, they're saying, oh, my, it's like, wow, okay. This, I'm telling you, God's word is like true. And it's not meant just to hear, right? It's meant for you and I to, to live out. Amen? Amen? All right. Uh, this morning, September 6th, we're going to unpack a conversation that I'm calling No Battles, No Victory. And, and uh, I'm going to say no battle, and you guys are going to say no victory. No battle? No battle? No battle? Amen. And, and we all want victory, right? <laughs> but unless there's a battle, there's not going to be a victory. And, and listen, as with our recent conversation, are we there yet? This particular conversation centers on a, a period in history of God's people known as the conquest period. It's a 27-year uh, period of time recorded in the book of Joshua that chronicles the time where God's people enter the promised land, win the victory, and settle. So let's do this. No battles, no victory. And we're going to begin in Joshua chapter 1. By the way, when this opens up, Joshua is a, a very young, around 83-year-old guy, right? About 83 years young. And, uh, and the book of Joshua is primarily a book about war, about battles and enemies, about conquest and victory. Uh, there's 13 major battles recorded in the book of Joshua, and, and there are 31 different kings that will eventually fall to Joshua in the Israelite army. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, now, what emotions do you think that Joshua's feeling right now? Doubt? Fear? Sorrow? Think he's feeling overwhelmed? You think he's feeling weak? You think he's feeling insufficient? You think he's feeling all of the above? I think so. God continues, now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I'll give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep the book of the law always on your lips. Meditate, it, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? That's like the third time, which means he, he wasn't feeling very courageous and he, he wasn't feeling very strong. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. 
Maybe God's saying that to you today. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you'll cross the Jordan to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. Okay, so the people are, they're getting ready to cross the Jordan, right? In three days, like move-in day is coming, right? We all love moving, packing boxes, right? I mean, it's time to move in. Pack everything up and they're moving in to the promised land. And then Joshua, he secretly sends out two spies to check things out. And here's a, here's a map of the, um, right now, they're camped right here in Shechem. You know, this is the Jordan, Dead Sea, Sea of Galilee's up here. Uh, there's Jericho. And, and, and so he sends out these spies secretly. Now why secretly? I, I don't know, maybe he didn't want the people to think that he had a lack of faith, or, or maybe he was worrying about some intelligence leak in his administration, right? Hey, you know what, if, I don't, if people know, guess what, the, the, um, the, the army on the, on the west side of the Jordan, the Canaanite army patrols are going to find out about it. We don't know why, but he did send them secretly. Kex offers no clue. And, and so these, uh, these two unnamed spies, they, they, they cross the Jordan River, they check things out, and especially they check out the city of Jericho. And in Jericho, they, they meet a woman, a, a prostitute named Rahab, who, by the way, is the mother of a guy named Boaz, who married a lady named Ruth. And, and, and not only that, but Rahab happens to be the great-great-great-grandmother of King David. You know, you'll find Rahab's name listed in Matthew chapter 1 in the family tree of Jesus. Now, this is a conversation for another day, but let me make this point from Rahab's life. See, it is a lie to believe that your past history determines your future destiny, right? It's a lie to believe that your past history, she sure had one, it's a lie to believe that that will determine your future destiny. Amen? Well, she takes these spies into her home. She hides them because the king found out they were there. Not only does she hide them, she gives them some very encouraging intel. Joshua chapter 2, verse 8. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all of us who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what he did to Shihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is a God in heaven above and on earth below. And so these spies return, they bring back this report to Joshua. In Joshua 2, verse 24, we read, They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. And then in chapter 3, we read about the crossing over the Jordan. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shechem and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. And again, you know, they're, you know, as, as we saw on, on, on the map, they, you know, they're here to make about a, a three-mile journey. And now they're camped right here on the edge of the Jordan. Verse 2 of chapter 3. After three days, the officers went through the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the Levites priests carrying it, 
You're to move out from your positions and follow it. I've always loved verse 4. Then you will know which way to go, since you've never been this way before. That's great advice, right? If you're ever going somewhere uncertain, you don't know where you're going, you don't know who to follow, guess what? Follow God, right? Hey, you've never been this way before? Hey, just follow God. Don't know where you're going, don't know what to do. Hey, you know what? Just follow the presence of God. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubics, that's about a half a mile, between you and the ark, and do not go near it. Now, I think part of the reason for the distance was, you know, so that even the people in the back of the line, that was a long line, right? They could see the ark as well, right? Not just the people up close to it. Joshua told the people, like we, we kind of just sang, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the ark of the covenant and pass one ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I'll begin to exalt you in the eyes of Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's water, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, and the Termites. Call Orkin, right? I uh, see the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. As soon as the priests who carried the ark of the Lord of all the earth set foot in the Jordan River, he told them what happened. Now we're seeing how it played out. As soon as the priests who carried the ark of the Lord of all the earth set foot in the Jordan, the waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in the heat. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest, yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water's flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off, so the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while Israelite passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. In the first three verses of four, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you will stay tonight. And so God's people, after 600 years, when he made the promise to Abraham, are finally living in the promised land. Uh, again, this is a book primarily about war, about battles and enemies and victory and conquest. And the way I, I want to attack this conversation is just by answering two questions. Why must there be battles? And how to see a victory? How do we see a victory? Such things were written because they're trying to get rid of some ink and paper, no, because they had nothing better to do, no. Such things were written, right? The story we're reading, it was written by God to teach you and to give you hope and encouragement. Why must there be battles? I guarantee that God's people asked that loud or at least thought it in their minds time and time again during those years of war why must there always be battles? 
Did you ever have the same question? <laughs> Why are there always battles in my life? Why all these wars and conflicts and challenges and struggles and, and hardships? I, I want to suggest you know, two simple reasons, right? Why there Israel and Joshua had to face battles. Number one, because this is going to blow your mind. You've never thought of this one. <laughs> they had an enemy, right? And, and once they crossed the Jordan, the enemy that they would be going up against was a very formidable enemy. Well-trained soldiers, large armies, superior weapons, fortified cities. So why, why must there be battles? Because God's people had an enemy. And because someone else occupied the land. Yeah, God promised Abraham the land. The only problem was someone else was already there. As a matter of fact, 31 different kingdoms occupied the land at the time. In order to possess the land, they would have to fight for it. Now, I know I've been saying for the last two weeks that being God's people was never about geography. Instead, it's about becoming a people who would reveal, reflect, and display God's glory, power, and person throughout the world. And that's true. However, there was a very strategic reason why God chose to launch his message of who he was and what he was about to do, redeem the world through Jesus, from the small 50 by 150 mile piece of real estate just east of the Mediterranean Sea. I have a satellite picture of it. Okay. And there's a strategic reason. You see, this little piece of land right here was viable real estate because it, it, it was the fastest route from Africa to Europe and to Asia. And until Rome built the navy, not many people wanted to move goods across the sea, right? Because it, it, it really wasn't safe. And, and traveling this way, the shortest route, but you also had towns, you had roads, you had water. And, and, and so... Countless people would travel up through this part of the land. And when they did, guess what? They would encounter who? God's people. And they would hear what? They would hear stories about the one true, all-knowing, all-powerful God. So that's why he chose that specific place. Why must there be battles? Because God's people had an enemy. Someone else occupied the land. And I think we all know that battles did not end in the Old Testament, did they? Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 34, do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a, but a sword. And he said in John 10, 10, I, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. But listen, before Jesus said those 14, let's put them on a t-shirt or in a picture frame words, right? Before he said those words, he said these words. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. You see, God intends for you and I to have life, but right now that life is opposed. It, it just doesn't roll in on a room service tray because an, enemy, because an enemy occupies our land. And he exists to steal, kill, and destroy. Again, the offer is life. God wants you to have life in our spiritual promised land. But if you want it, you're going to have to fight for it. No battle, no victory, right? Peter said it this way, describing our enemy. 
We got him as a thief. He describes him here as a roaring lion. Uh, Be sober and alert of mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. See, there's an enemy opposing the life that God wants you to live, the life that you want to live. An enemy who wants to kill and destroy and steal everything you love and hold dear. He is a violent, destructive thief. He is is a roaring, devouring lion. And John gives a picture of him in Revelation chapter 12 as a angry, rage-filled dragon. Revelation 12 is this great chapter that that talks about the spiritual battle that went on in the heavenly realms when Jesus put on flesh, came to this earth, and did his thing. And Satan was unable to defeat Jesus, and so what Satan does is he, he turns all the energy of his attacks and war effort on God's people. Revelations 12, 17. Not many people frame this one and put it on a t-shirt, Right? Then a dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Why always battles and struggles and challenges in our life? Because an angry, rage-filled dragon has already declared war on you, right? He's declared war on you. Paul said this, for our struggles not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, someone occupies this land, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Why must there be battles? We have an enemy, and someone else occupies the land. These things were written in the past to teach us and to give us hope and encouragement. And now for the second question, right? How do we see a victory? And before we talk about seeing a victory, I think we need to define victory. Now, for Israel, it's easy to define, right? For them, victory was winning the war and occupying the land. For the Christian, victory is living the life that we were created to live. A life where hope is living, joy is unquenchable and unimaginable, where peace transcends all understanding. It's a life where love is unconditional, unending, and never failing. It's a life where bondages are broken, captives are set free, sin is defeated, the lost are found, where we are more than conquerors, and where we find our greatest joy and satisfaction in God. I don't know about you, but I I would like to see that kind of victory in my life. And the truth is, no battle, no victory. You see, there's There's maybe more, but I want to talk about five battles that you must fight in order to see a victory. To see a victory, you must do battle with your obedience. Do battle with your obedience. Obedience is foundational. It was foundational for God's people in Joshua, right? I mean, God made that clear in his opening conversation with Joshua. Joshua chapter 1, 7 and 8. Be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my Moses, my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate it on day and night so that you know what's in it. 
so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. See, if we're a Christian, we're responsible for what's in it, whether we read it or not, right? And it's just like those terms of agreement we do, right? And it's 30 pages long internet, we check, yeah, I agree, and who knows what was in there, right? We just didn't feel like reading it. You know what? You are responsible for everything in the Bible, whether you read it or not, so it kind of makes sense to do what? To read it, you know? To read it. So then you'll be careful to do everything written in it, then you'll be prosperous and successful. And I think there's two reasons why obedience is a battle. At least two. There's probably more, but I want to just talk about two. Number one, because obedience doesn't always make sense, right? It doesn't always make sense. Two examples in our in the conquest period is one crossing the Jordan River, right? I mean, he's got about a million people. The river's at flood stage. They don't have a boat, right? They don't have a bridge. They don't have a pontoon, right? You know, how are they going to get the people across that river, right? Didn't make sense. March them to the Jordan, right? And did you notice how this crossing was different? Like on the Red Sea, Moses stands up there, holds up the staff, right? And it parts. And then the people walk in. On this one, the water did not part until what? Until the priest stepped in, right? And, and here's the point, I think, from that a lesson is sometimes the waters don't part until our feet get wet, right? We're waiting for God. Come on, God, part the waters. I want to do something for you. And we're, we're just waiting, right? And sometimes we got to step out in faith into the water, into that situation, into what God has called us to do before we'll actually see the waters parting. I think a second thing that was, didn't make sense was the battle plan, right? Yeah, I know, I know. We get it. We know the story, right? We maybe even sang the song, right? Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls came a-tumbling down, right? Um, but imagine that you didn't know. And, and imagine that you're Joshua. And God invites you into the tent to tell you his battle plan, right? Hey, here's how we're going to take the city. I want you to get some musicians. And for six days, march around the city. On day seven, march around the city seven times. So here's Joshua, this great military general. And you know he had thought about this, right? He's probably like, well... That's good. That's a, that's an idea, God. That's a good one. That, yeah, I, but that's you know not really what I was thinking, right? And all his strategy and planning, I guarantee that he did not have the words marching band in there anywhere at all, right? They, I know we're gonna take Jericho. We're gonna get a marching band to walk around the city. But let me ask you: When Jericho fell, who got the credit? You know, God or the or the marching band? You see, obedience doesn't always make sense, does it? Does it make sense to love and pray for your enemies? Does it make sense that you want to be great, you become a servant to everybody? Does it make sense that the way to meet your needs is put everybody else's needs before yours? Does it make sense that you're to bring God your tithe and your offering even when money is, is tight for you? You know, those things make sense. A lot of times it doesn't make sense. Another thing that makes, you know, obedience a battle is, is that obedience is an, it's an all or nothing deal. And what I mean by that is, is that uh, 
Partial obedience is disobedience. After the great victory in Jericho, you can check it out in Joshua 7 and 8, they suffer a devastating defeat at a place called Ai. Joshua is just devastated. He's on his face, and, and he actually said this to God, if only we had stayed on the east side of the Jordan River, right? Why did we cross a stinking river? And God responds, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. You see, they did not obey God's command in taking Jericho. You know, they somewhat obeyed, but the God not obeying it fully was the same as disobedience. Question, are you, are you, are you doing battle with obedience in your life? Like, is there something that you don't want to obey that you know you should? And have you deceived yourself into thinking that, hey, you know what, I'm kind of obeying this and thinking that God's okay with it? To see a victor, you have to do battle with obedience. You also have to do battle with your allegiance. First commandment, you must have no other gods before me. In other words, nothing can come before God in our lives. Not your job, not your family, not your money, not your hobbies, nothing. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses, he's giving his farewell speech. He's talking to people, saying, hey, if you obey God, everything's going to be great and wonderful. But then he says this, and if you turn your hearts away and you're not obedient, and if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you're crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. You must have no other gods before me. What is a God? A God is something that gets the best of your time, your energy, your emotion, your attention, your treasure. A God is something that you look to for life and meaning and purpose and satisfaction other than in God himself. No other gods means no other gods. Os Guinness wrote this. This quote is very powerful. Idolatry is huge in the Bible. Dominant in our personal lives, right? And irrelevant in our own mistaken estimations. Yeah. Yeah, I know I bow down to money and to my job and to people's approval and pleasure. Yeah, I know I do that, but it's really not that big. Yeah, it is a big deal. It may not be a big deal to me or to you, but it's a big deal to God, right? And so you have to do battle with your allegiance, right? And, 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 and they did three things, and you can read them in detail, to, to renew their allegiance to God once they crossed the Jordan, their camp, that Gilgal. And, and one of the things they did was they, uh, you know, God's covenant faithfulness is recalled. And what happened there is Moses says, hey, you know those stones we, we have that we got from the middle of the Jordan, right? We want to set those stones up as a memorial. And then in the future when your children ask you, hey, what are these stones for? You'll say, hey, this to remind us of God's faithfulness and how God parted both the Red Sea and the Jordan for us, all right? We also see in Gilgal's camp that God's covenant sign is renewed. Apparently, we don't know why, but none of the children born in the wilderness period were circumcised, right? And before they took on Jericho, 
And all the guys, warriors say, hey, great idea, perfect time for this one, right? All the guys were circumcised, right? In order to renew this sign with God. And we read this in Joshua 5, 8 and 9. After all the males had been circumcised, they rested in the camp until they were healed. Thank you, God, for letting healing. Then the Lord said to Joshua, the day I've rolled away, that's what Gilgal means, a rolling away. Today I've rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt, so the place has been called Gilgal till this day. And third, you know, their allegiance was being renewed because the covenant meal was revived. The first Passover was Egypt. The second Passover they celebrated was at the base of Mount Sinai. And it appears that they did not celebrate the Passover again to right here in Gilgal, right? And, and again, you must do battle with your allegiance in order to see a victory. So is there anything that God is wanting you to do to renew your allegiance to him? Another thing, in order to see a victory, you must do battle with your focus. And what I mean by that is by shifting your focus from your smallness to God's bigness. You know, I don't know anything that would have the potential to be more life-changing than taking your eyes off your smallness and putting them on God's business. God's bigness. You see, the issue is not how big you are compared to whatever it is that you're facing. The issue is how big is your God, right? How big is your God? See, this new generation, they're filled with courage and strength, and not because their circumstances have changed, because it hadn't changed. Not because it's easier now than it was then, because it wasn't, but because they changed their focus from their smallness, we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, to God's bigness. See, I'm convinced that God wants our story to be about his bigness. About how he's bigger than our problems, that he's, he's bigger than our doubts, he's bigger than our fears, he's bigger than our guilt. God is bigger than our shame. He's bigger than our regrets. God is bigger than anything. Isaiah says that, that God holds the oceans in his hands. I, I can fit about a tablespoon of water in my palm of my hand. Uh, God can fit the oceans, right? You know, two-thirds of the planet covered with water, some six feet deep, six miles deep, rather. And God is like, in his hands, oh, okay, there's the Atlantic, Pacific, Arctic, Indian, right? And, and, and the God says, you know, who with the breath of his hand measured off the heavens? Like if I go from the my, tip of my thumb to the tip of my pinky, that's about nine inches, right? The closest star to us is, is four and a half light years away. That's just 26 trillion miles. And God goes, oh, you need a, something, a, a ruler for that? God goes, oh, okay, I got it. <laughs> that's how big he is. Like, like what would happen in our battles? What would happen in your battle if you took your eyes off of your smallness? If you took them off the big challenge, the wall, the giant in front of you, and you remember just how big your God is, just how huge he is. Nothing is impossible for our God. Amen? Next to see a victory, you, you must do battle with the lies of the enemy. I put the following on my Facebook wall um, this week. 
what is a five-word phrase that represents a lie that you have believed that has robbed your story, your life of strength and courage? One of mine, and yes, I have more than one, I, I wrote would be, you will just fail again. And I said, thanks for your help. And here's some of the responses. The first three I'm going to read come from a, a dad who lost his son several years back, and it's just been devastating to him, as you would think it would be. Here's what he wrote, the lies he believed. It's easier to give up. Life is not worth living. You can do this alone. Then he said, they are all lies. With God by my side, I will succeed and feel his joy. Here's some other that people wrote. Maybe you can relate. You won't succeed at that. They are better than you. Your past mistakes define you. No point in trying anymore. Nobody cares about you anyway. You're not good enough. It is what it is. You're not brave enough. You're not faithful enough. You're not good enough. Being different is not good. You will never be enough. You won't make the team. It's too late for you. You'll never conquer that sin. You'll never overcome that loss. Go ahead. You deserve it. No one will ever know. You're failing as a dad. God is done with you. You can't make a difference. It'll always be that way. Might as well just quit. You could never do that. I am not worth it. You are totally by yourself. Just five words that came quickly to real people. Words that have robbed them of strength and courage in their lives. Can you relate? I mean, check out this psalm we read just Monday of this week in our Bible reading. Psalm 55. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me and I'm distraught because of my enemy's voice. I want to give you five new words from Joshua. Five words that will help you do battle with the lies of the enemy. Joshua 1.5. I will be with you. You see, strength and courage... Strength and courage are just fear and doubt that have been brought into the presence of God. Fear and courage is just fear and doubt that has been brought into the presence of God. I want to share a few other five words with you that you maybe need here today that are truth, that will help you do battle with the lies of the enemy. You are loved by God. In Christ, you are free. You really matter to God. His amazing grace is enough. You're a child of God. Your sin doesn't define you. Your past doesn't define you. Your failure doesn't define you. Nothing is bigger than God. It is never too late. Amen. So how do we ensure that we see a victory? By doing, how do you ensure that you see a victory? By doing battle with your obedience? By doing battle with your allegiance? By doing battle with your focus? By doing battle with the lies of the enemy? And by doing battle with your divided heartedness? That's kind of 
It's the best word. I was looking for a word I could find, so I kind of made up some phrase, but I think you get my point, right? As Joshua closes, and I'm, at, I'm closing, right? He's about 110 years old. He's fought many, many battles. He has the scars to prove it. He's seen God do amazing things. He's been a leader of God's people for 67 years, and he knows he's about done, and he knows he's about to speak to God's people for the very last time. He stands before them. He, <clears throat> he clears his throat. He reminds them of the great victories that God has brought to them. And then he says this, Joshua 24, 14 and 15. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. I read that and I go, are you kidding me? Like, they still have them? Like, they've been in the land for 27 years and they still have them? You mean we've been a Christian for 20 years? 15 years, 10 years, 30 years, and we still have them? Yeah. Maybe we do. Maybe we do. So have things that we're bowing down to. But if serving the Lord, see, see what they thought was that worship God? Absolutely I'll worship God. But I want to worship these things too. God don't play that way, all right? I'm just telling you right now, telling myself right now, that's not how God plays it, right? But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you'll serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. No battle, no victory. I don't think any of us in this room or anyone at home doesn't want to see victory in their life. Such things were written long ago to teach us and to give us hope and encouragement. And what we learn here, you know, is in order for me and for you to see a victory in our, your life, you must do battle. You must do battle with your obedience. You must do battle with your allegiance. You must do battle with your focus. How about you? When I look at, when I'm focusing on my smallness, man, I seem like a grasshopper a lot of times. But I serve a God who breathes out stars. You must do battle with the lies of the enemy. I'm just here to tell you, the lies aren't going to stop. What you need to do is fill your mind with the truth of God right? You know, I, I encourage you this week, go home and write out five truths, five word statements of truth about you from God and, and, and let them penetrate your heart and mind when the enemy starts lying and telling you who you are. And you must do battle with your divided heartedness, thinking that somehow that it's okay to worship God with a bunch of idols in our back pocket. Right? It just doesn't work that way. And God wants you to see a victory. God wants you to live the life you're created to live, the life that you always dreamed of living. But no battle, no victory. Father God, we love you. Holy Spirit, in Christ Jesus, you created us to, 
to be more than conquerors. You created us to have victory. And God, sometimes you'll be deceived into thinking that the victory just comes without a fight, without a battle, but we have an enemy who occupies this land, who occupies this world. And so God, I just pray, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you just move in us and that whatever battle we need to really step up our game in, whether it's with our focus, our obedience, God, whether it's with our allegiance, whether it's we've been so overwhelmed by the lies of the enemy that has beat us down, or whether it's thinking that it's okay to serve you and other gods, whatever it is, God, I pray that we'll know that all we have to ever do is look to you and you will help us have a victory. And God, we know it's not our strength, it's not our might, it's not by our sword that we'll have the victory, but it's by leaning in and trusting in you. And God, I pray that as we sing and as we prepare our hearts and minds to remember your sacrifice, that God, as we we come to this altar, Lord, this song about coming to the altar, Father God, that we would just, God, somehow just make it us and you, whether in this room or at home, can this moment just be between us and you. In Jesus' name, amen.